0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to thelouperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. You'll get to listen to my podcasts and watch my sketch comedy videos before I release them to the rest of the world. You'll also have access to exclusive content for members only. And if you're looking for another way you can support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Just head over to www. B L V C K B R E W dot com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out Paloma Verde CBD. Head over to Paloma Verde CBD dot com and use promo code Lou for twenty five percent off purchases over seventy five dollars. All right, here we go. I am joined by an author, a host. And a friend of mine is named Stephen Kent. And the book that is out right now is called How the Force Can Fix the World. There we go. Steve, for those of you who who are not watching the stream, uh, (laughs) Stephen just held it up for a good amount of time. So you missed out. Uh, That's what that pregnant pause was all about.
1: There. I'm just out here to ruin your podcast, Lou
0: Oh no I, I've already ruined it just by starting it. So I was on hiatus for a little bit so um, I think you're you're my second second podcast back and um, on the first one I apologize to everybody who was listening because uh, it's like I haven't spoken to people in months so I'm like I'm, I'm relearning how to speak. I'm almost like a stroke victim.
1: I've taken numerous unannounced hiatuses from my podcast to focus on my consulting business where part of my consulting is helping people launch podcasts and teaching them explicitly not to take unscheduled hiatuses from the podcast that they start or they will be doomed to failure.
0: So it's all do as I say, not do as I do.
1: <laughs> Life happens, man you gotta yeah. you gotta sometimes tend to other things uh, sitting down to tell people about it. That could only take five minutes but you yeah. know that's too much time. <laughs>
0: Well, well. one thing that I want everyone to know about you is um, I'm very fortunate to have friends like Stephen in my life, because anytime Stephen reaches out to me, it's never to like borrow money or for me to do him a favor. It's always for a really cool opportunity. And Steven does such a wonderful job of being that kind of friend. So because of Stephen, I, I made my network um, debut on fox News primetime earlier this year and then i also got to be a a guest on his show on the uh the rightly program pro program the rightly program he he hosted a show on rightly on uh, on youtube and i got to go down to uh, washington d c to be on it um i'm i'm sorry to say that the the show is no longer um maybe you could just bring us up yeah. to speed on that
1: well you know i i'm i'm so glad that uh you feel like i've brought some value to your life and I do try to be that kind of friend and so I was wondering if you could maybe return the favor um you have a lot of experience as a comedian with unemployment um so I am on my first week of it uh any wow. tips
0: <laughs> Well I got I got to say I um I am not that kind of friend so I, I I cannot help you No no I think um I think anytime you uh you know you lose a gig or you know, you do something like you were with the program for like nine months or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: did. It did about 10 or 11. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a, it's a good stretch. And I think the, um, especially when you see an opportunity like that, you know, to, I think you, you called it like sort of like, you know, leaping, uh, you know, into the darkness. Is that how you, how you called it or taking a chance?
1: I would, I would call it something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you you know,
0: and you put so much behind it and I think, um, I think you just need time to allow the you know dust to settle and to start to see the other options that are out there that that were always out there but you were focused on you know on this project um and I know that you're yeah. the uh, you're the type of a uh, type of person that you know you have a lot of options
1: when when you're in a job I've never been good at this about maintaining sort of tunnel vision and blocking out all of the things that you could be doing. I'm the kind of person who, when I was working in like digital comms and I was like doing social media management and stuff, I would spend a quarter of my day, even in roles that I enjoyed looking at opportunities on the side Mm -hmm. and you start seeing things on linkedin which is just awful for your focus and productivity you know all the jobs that you could be doing and then you start thinking about your resume and then you start making changes and then you start applying to things even while you're in a job that you like and i found in this year doing a show hosting a show uh, you know, which you're you're familiar with. It in general, the creative process of trying to build a platform, write shows, put things together. You cannot afford to to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can get away with it at some desk jobs, but in a creative part of work, you just can't be thinking about other things. So I fully committed myself to it for ten months and closed myself off to other opportunities. And yeah, I'm I'm two or three days into the world being back and wide open again. And it's actually kind of funny. I feel great. Like I, I am really sad that the job is gone and that the show is over. Cause I, I loved doing it, having friends like yourself on and others, but now it just seems like the world's wide open again. And I'm actually kind of excited by it. So no, it was, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. happy
0: to no, I'm happy to hear that um, because it, it could be, you know, it could be real easy to just sort of, lie in bed you know with the the covers drawn over you and just be like what that this will never happen again and, and all that and it's just uh it's that's just not the case and, and also i mean you know you're in a position too. something to be really excited about is you know you have your book how the force can fix the world and um you went on a little a little tour how long was uh was your tour your book tour
1: yeah, I did about two weeks of road shows and dinners and happy hours dedicated to promoting the book. And I'm really excited to say I've, I've got dates on the on the books for 2022. I'm going to be in Austin, Dallas, Las Vegas, and Phoenix at different times during the next year to do sort of dinner conversations and book talks. So there's a lot more to come. Um, I did two weeks pretty much back to back of crisscrossing the country and. I think the, the most gratifying experience possible was going all the way out to Los Angeles where I don't have many friends. I, I don't have many people in LA, <laughs> just I can count them on one hand.
0: No one who lives in LA has friends.
1: Yeah. That's also so, true. Yeah, just professional acquaintances. <laughs> uh, and I I went out there and I had a packed house and a line for a book signing that took about an hour to get through. And I just... I'm still coasting off of that, that excitement. People, uh, people like Star Wars, uh, apparently, so.
0: Oh, that, <laughs> but, oh, that's what the force.
1: Uh, yeah, the force ah. can fix the world. And it's, it's not, uh, you know, a force, it's the force. and uh, The force. A book about, a book about why Star Wars matters. And uh turns out it does still matter. So the premise of the book has been upheld.
0: Yeah. Um. How did, how did the book come about? You know, when did you decide um, you were going to write it?
1: So I've been a Star Wars podcaster since about 2016. I I started a program called Beltway Banthas, and it was dedicated to interviewing politicos, like politicians, media professionals, people who work in and around politics about being Star Wars junkies. And so I would talk to far right people, far left people, libertarians, everyone about why they love Star Wars, why Star Wars plays a role in the way that they think about the world, maybe their political viewpoints. And then the show is about tying it all together, and being like, you know, if if a socialist and a libertarian both love Star Wars and they both see it as a story about freedom, why can't we agree on what freedom is (laughs) uh, out in the real world, IRL? So the show is about how Star Wars kind of mediates morality in a really useful time when we have very few ways to talk about shared values. And then the book was an extension of that. It was taking all of the lessons about how star Wars means something to so many different people, and then condensing it down into seven virtues that we can all understand and find value in.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you think about, you know, just something like a, uh, a cultural, you know, touchstone that everybody, everybody can um, ha- have a piece of it's sort of, it, it seems like we're, uh, we're getting farther away from having those big, you know, those, those big uh, things that we could all, you know, sort of share in.
1: Yeah. I mean, every, every civilization has to have their version of Homer's Iliad or Virgil's Aeneid. Like you, you've got to have heroic tales that unite your people around a shared sense of right and wrong dragons that you can slay, We've all got to have a King Arthur and even down just like to civics, right? You have to have a founding story as a people. That's why 1776 matters. And even, even if it's a noble lie, <laughs> like having having these grand stories like the founding as an American to seize on because it's what helps us not be just atomized individuals, but be a people. And we have to be a people if we want to have a society together. Uh, And Star Wars, it's more than just a a goofy kid's tale. It's been around for 40 plus years, united four generations of of fathers and sons and and daughters and mothers around good and evil, uh, what it means to be a hero, how to be brave, all this stuff. And I, I would be willing to bet in a thousand years, a thousand years, people will still be talking about Darth Vader uh, I don't think they will be talking about Doc Ock and the Green Goblin, um, you know, with all due respect to Spider-Man. Uh, these are just very different kinds of stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've never read Joseph Campbell, but I do know that um, at least the the origin story of, uh, of Star Wars came out of uh, George Lucas. Um, I don't know if he sat down and... Well, if Joseph Campbell was alive at the time and they did, the yeah. Course, they had a yeah.
1: had a relationship.
0: Yeah, about this uh this hero's journey. When when it comes to Darth Vader, I'm I'm trying to think like who are the who else would like it. Darth Darth Vader seems like such a unique character. You know, I'm wondering were there any any roots of um of that? Like, I don't know. Yeah, Where of course. I mean,
1: so I was thinking about Jo- you mentioned Joseph Campbell, and Joseph Campbell was interviewed in 1985 talking about what he thought of Star Wars, because George Lucas, of course, would reference him all the time. And so Joseph Campbell, he said this about Star Wars, and this is a couple of years after Return of the Jedi. He said that Star Wars deals with the essential problem. Is the machine going to control humanity? Or is the machine going to serve humanity? Darth Vader is man taken over by machine. He becomes a machine and the state, the government, is a machine. There's there's no humanity to be found in the state. And then he finishes by saying what runs the world is economics and politics. And they have nothing to do with the spiritual life. And I don't think you can put it any better than that. Um that's rather
0: uh, convenient for a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's I, quite the quote for a libertarian to bring up when discussing
1: no, it's, yeah. it's incredible. I yeah. I when I when I found that quote, which actually I only found that quote a couple of weeks ago, I didn't even include it in the book. Oh, really? Because yeah. I wasn't familiar with it, but someone sent it to me and I was like, holy cow! Because Star Wars fans will often go down wormholes of, of debating. You know, what are the politics of Star Wars? Well, if George Lucas was a liberal, well, then Star Wars must be a liberal story. And you'll hear that from like a a lefty in 2021 and you go, yes, Star Wars is an inherently liberal story, but you're talking about progressivism (laughs) and I'm sorry, but 1970s liberals don't truly have much in common with 2020s progressives. These are Mm -hmm. very different kind of left-wing views. Uh, One is about openness and one is about control. Um, And George Lucas, his story was about wariness about um, collectivist, statist mentalities. And it did come from a left-wing point of view with capitalist critiques uh, and particularly anti-fascist critiques. Um, But those lessons, uh, those liberal lessons of the 1970s and 80s are a indicting, scathing review of the kind of leftism we have today, which is all about sameness and thought control. Um, So I I kind of reject the idea that because Star Wars is a, you know, a somewhat liberal tale that it's um, that it is a, a rubber stamp for leftism today.
0: Do you do you in the book, do you concentrate on um, the first three, which are technically episodes three through six? Or do you also talk about, you know, the uh, um, the later um,
1: every single one, baby, Every every single one of them? I'm a I'm a Star Wars completist and I have high and low opinions of certain films in the franchise, but. I believe just sort of as a principle of being a, a deep Star Wars fan. And I I also like take Star Wars seriously as a as a way to live. I that's what how The Force Can Fix the World is about. It's it's about finding moral and virtuous lessons in the story. And that means that I had to be open to seven, eight, and nine and one, two, and three and rogue one and solo a Star Wars story. So so all of it. There's a lesson from everything, including the Mandalorian, in my book.
0: Yeah, I, um, I'm not up on all of them. I think, I don't know if I told you this, but I had never seen the originals, you know, like uh, New Hope and Return of the Jedi and all that. Wow. I, st- I started with, I guess, where you're supposed to, well, you're not supposed to start with uh, episodes one, two, and three, but that's where I started. So I'd never watched, never watched Star Wars uh, before. And then some reason, for some reason, I watched all three of those in the theater. <laughs> like, I actually went to the theater, paid money to see them. Um, and I was like, "How was
1: your experience?"
0: Um, well, let me see. I'm thinking, ba- thinking back, I, I think I, I enjoyed a lot of the visual stuff. Um, I think I enjoyed. Uh, was it Ewan McGregor? I think. He oh was... yeah,
1: he's great. He's great in those movies. Yeah, I,
0: th- I thought he was great. Um, I, re- I thought the guy who plays. Um, uh, the young Darth Vader was very wooden of an actor.
1: Oh, we've um, heard that before Hayden Christensen. He's not a, he's not a, he's not Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So it was very, it was kind of like all over the place for me uh, where I was like, Oh, I like that part. And Oh, that's cool. Seeing how Darth Vader like lost his legs and was put together. And that's how they put him in the suit. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I didn't have, um, I didn't have that, um, uh, uh, very strong feelings uh towards it
1: yeah and i I think strong feelings is is one of the the strengths and weaknesses of Star Wars as a franchise because it's it it is endured for so many generations, mm-hmm. and that's a testament to how much it means to people, but how much it means to people is also where some of the the toxicity anger and and divisiveness comes from people, mm-hmm. so you know it's you can take a lesson on civics from this as well, but you know, when we're very attached to the past and we're very jaded and disappointed by what's going on in the, in the present or maybe what the future is going to look like (laughs) that can, that can become kind of vengefulness and anger very quickly. Um, And that's where in star Wars fandom, a lot of that disappointment, uh, comes from, and it, it really does breed a, a pretty rough fandom. you know all Star wars fans are usually occupied by yelling at each other on the internet, or you know when you ask somebody What is your favorite Star Wars movie? they pause and then they go well i 'll tell you what I hate. I hate this movie <laughs> and that uh that seems to be the experience of a lot of Star wars fans and outsiders today is just the the negative side
0: have you uh at the you know, your live, uh, appearances. Have you had any, any, uh, I don't know, hecklers, uh, people who want to take you aside and, and, uh, you know, really take it to you. Any, uh, yeah, actually, I
1: mean, yeah, I, I, I have gotten a couple and I've, I've read one or two reviews of the book that, you know, basically take issue with my book because I, you know, was open to the Disney trilogy. So seven, mm. eight, nine, and that I, that I treated, episode eight the last jedi um with respect and i i will say like on the record and i say i say in the book that some of the new star wars movies almost crushed my excitement about star wars so much that i i almost stopped writing the book mm. but i i had some time of reflection to also just remember after that crushing feeling of of being like wow i can't stand these movies what does that mean about me um to think about why it does matter to me and at the end of the day i ended up watching star wars the last jedi and i saw in that movie a lesson about being crushed by certain elements of the present um but then mm. lo- looking back to the past for strength and and i was just reminded i was like you know what i i still can find exactly the same strength and passion and love in the Star Wars movies that I love, even if I don't like the ones in the moment. And it kind of gave me the pickup that I needed to finish the book. So I have been pulled aside and and barked at about, you know, Kathleen Kennedy and the new Star Wars movies and the feminists. And, you know, I just I just don't really have any patience for it um, because I, I love Star Wars. And so when a bad movie comes out, which they do occasionally, uh, what I do is I look at it and I go, all right, here's what this movie is about. Here's what this movie was trying to say. And then I'll talk to you about that. Uh, But if you want to have a conversation about filmmaking, a conversation about production, a conversation about what you would have done if you had made it, those are different conversations. And I think that critics, those kinds of people, always want to debate production and behind-the-scenes stuff. And I don't really enjoy that. I enjoy looking at it as it is and then debating what it means.
0: <laughs> well, well, I think, uh, so a, a couple of things I uh, I recently watched a very short documentary. I think it was called star Wars in the edit or something like that, where it was, uh, George Lucas had an original cut of, uh, of, 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 of the first one, the fourth one, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, it was just not working. And, um, and George Lucas, if anyone doesn't know, he has a lot of, like his whole crew, his friends are guys like Steven Spielberg. Yep. I, yep. So when, when he's like, yeah, I need, um, my buddy Steven is going to check out a cut of my film. That's who he's getting on, you know, whose eyes he's getting on it. And um, uh, ultimately, um, uh, this, uh, this documentary argues, and I think they, they do it pretty, pretty well, uh, George Lucas's wife at the time saved the movie in the edit she yeah. did such a wonderful job editing it and um for anybody out there who uh is interested in Star Wars or just interested in in storytelling and pacing i think it's a really good uh good lesson there i i i went and saw the last jedi in the theater too and i don't go into uh movies or anything like that looking to hate you know i'm not, i I think there, there's enough out there. There's enough garbage out there that I could just hate on. I don't need to like spend my time and money to do it. So every time I go in, I want to, I want to enjoy it. Um, and you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, I'm sad to say that I did not enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the, the movie. There were moves that they made where I'm like, I just don't, I don't know why you would make that move. I don't know why you would do that. Um, just, you know, storytelling t- wise. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know the the amount of vitriol it got. Um, I was like, part part of me was like, oh, was that was that infecting me? Um, but I don't think mm-hmm. so. I just think it's when it when it comes to especially compared to the others, it's just not a superior product.
1: Yeah, superior and person. I I think for Star Wars fans, it's it's it really matters a whole lot who has the divine right to make certain character choices with. The characters that they love. And, you know, I remember the prequel era. I was getting introduced to Star Wars in a big way in 1999, 2002, and 2005 for episodes one, two, and three. And fans of an older generation were very angry about these movies. They were pissed off. I remember going to comic book shops and fan events when I was a kid, and the Gen Xers, all they wanted to do was just grumble and groan about Jar Jar and double-bladed lightsabers and the special effects, and they hated George Lucas. And there was this energy in the fandom that was anti-George Lucas at the time because he was being painted now as like a money grubber, kind of like he had become Darth Vader. You know, he was a rebel, then he became the Empire, and he was just, you know, creating Jar Jar and young Anakin Skywalker to to make money, Um, which, you know probably is true to a certain extent he went out to make money and then he told the story but at the same time we always knew that george lucas had a full story of darth vader that he wanted to tell he had Mm. been saying that since the 80s that he had a story for darth vader's birth that he wanted to tell and so he told it um he's like just
0: wait when they when he murders all those children people are gonna people are gonna love it they're gonna love
1: so excited and Misa Misa thinks that they're going to like it, uh, but then Disney gets you know the tri- they get the they get the IP they get the Star Wars brand from George, and they make choices with certain characters, particularly Han and Luke, um, that really really aggravate the fan base a huge a huge portion of the fan base, and then you see this return in the fan base to appreciating George Lucas and it's not coincidence it's because like at the end of the day even though people waved their fists or shook their fists angrily at god george lucas in this in this scenario uh, they still deferred to his right to do it because mm. he was the creator but then you sort of have this protestant reformation and this handing off of who carries the sacred text and who has the right to communicate with God and Disney gets it. And people are pissed off because no, who gave Disney the right uh, to, to knock Luke Skywalker down on his, on his knees and and take him down a peg. Um, That's a really interesting political lesson and sort of a lesson on, on civil society that like, you can look at star Wars as a really clear microcosm of why we get angry when things change in the real world.
0: Do you have any Star Wars fan fiction? Have you written any?
1: Uh, I do actually, yeah.
0: What do you, think? after writing this book, is any of your fan fiction in the book? Have you taken the time to to look (laughs) back? And when did you start writing it too?
1: No, I I, I didn't include any of my book. Mine's Mm -hmm. all strictly nonfiction, but when I was in high school and first year of college, I was working, <laughs> I just got a text from my co-writer who I was in, in high school with, uh, his name's Will, and we wrote an Old Republic tale called The Valley of the Sith. It was based off of the Knights of the Old Republic video game from the early 2000s and traced the, uh, the journey of a character through ancient Sith society, so the Dark Darksiders. Uh, and then we wrote a book called On Opposite Sides of the River about two friends who grew up on Coruscant, and one drifted towards being pro-empire and one drifted towards the rebellion. And the book is about their friendship uh, falling apart uh, during that journey. And uh, we loved it. We took it very seriously.
0: (laughs) No, I can can imagine like, you know, doing that because, you know, especially at that age, I mean, we've, and, you know, obviously you hold, uh, you know, Star Wars as a a very, almost a, you know, a sacred text. And it's like, you want to make sure everything you're doing to it, you're doing, uh, you know, you're doing it justice.
1: With great love and care, but by the end of writing fan fiction, it always ends up being totally cringy because fans can't, when you write fan fiction, it takes a huge amount of discipline not to make your characters the center of the story, like the big the big story. So like a, a good indicator of when someone's writing fan fiction is that they write their character into the background of the destruction of the death star, right? Mm. Like, Oh, my character was that pilot who was right next to Luke Skywalker when he, before he made the death star trench run. Oh, and by the way, my character gave covering fire to Han Solo in the battle of indoor return of the, Jedi. right. <laughs> and, um, that's, that's like one marker of, I think really bad fan fiction. And there's one, um, there's one new Disney Star Wars book called Lost Stars, which I I kind of enjoyed, but they basically did tell this same story of two lovers, one Imperial and one Rebel. And their characters were at every major Star Wars event, the Battle of Hoth, <laughs> the, first, the destruction of the first Death Star, the Battle of Jakku, which is where Rey lives on... on um, On her planet in in The Force Awakens, they were part of every major story that was on screen. And it just makes you want to put your head through a wall because that's not respectful to the main stories. Mm -hmm. A good fan fiction takes a completely new direction and plays in the sandbox but doesn't try to center your character in another person's narrative.
0: I I can't imagine writing fan fiction, especially for Star Wars, and it not being erotic. That that <laughs> might just be me, but I think there's just there there's just too much there, and not enough. I don't think there's enough. I don't think there's enough sex in the series,
1: just in uh, <laughs> the the Lost Stars book. The Lost Stars book that I mentioned uh, was a. Uh, teen teen romance novel Mm. and it it involved some sex and it was it was the first the first star wars book i had ever read where two people took each other's clothes off (laughs) and i was like damn in the caves in the caves of tatooine things are getting even hotter nice (laughs) it was it was kind of cringy
0: everybody Uh, just sounds like a wookiee when they're getting it on is there uh is there any like interspecies mating in in star wars or they do anything like that i mean i don't want to bring up yeah, star trek any, i might have any to good but
1: fanboy to do wants yeah. wants wants to to get with a twilight so uh a twilight in star wars oh, i God, think I, gotta... I think these are the most how do you spell oh, that twilight uh, t-w-i apostrophe l-k uh-huh these are the most erotic and attractive characters in star wars they are aliens and both the males and the females have like long tentacles on their head Um, and the females are known and, and kind of depicted in like an indian middle eastern kind of vibe uh, um, i see them yeah I, the f- I just
0: looked it up i would yeah i would totally have sex with yeah totally, whatever
1: that is. totally have sex with a with a twilight um, twilight's made their first kind of like big appearance in return of the jedi as a slave girl dancing in java's palace mm-hmm. and uh, i think from that point on there have been dozens and dozens of of Star Wars porns made.
0: <laughs> I'm looking at. I'm, I'm your... looking it up right now. You didn't even have to say it. I immediately can... put Twi'lek and porn, and uh, Jabba is having a... Wow. Jabba yeah. the Hutt is having a feast. Um, if anybody will, uh, wants to look that up. Yeah. You can
1: find all sorts of, of Twi'lek porn. So, uh, yes, there is absolutely interspecies mating. And in the most recent Star Wars animated series, uh, Star Wars Rebels, they did canonize... You know, for like one of the first times that we've seen on screen, the main character Hera, who's a Twi'lek, does have a child with a human male named Kanan Mm. Jarrus, a Jedi, Uh, and the child comes out human, but like with green hair. So I think uh, I think when a Twi'lek and a human get it on, you'll get a little bit of crisscross in those in those characteristics, which is fun.
0: Yeah, I'm (laughs) trying. I I just looked up Twi'lek twerking. (laughs) <laughs> Which I think would go go really well, and and I, I don't see a lot of Twi uh, Twi leaks, um, but I do see uh, a lot of a lot of twerking. I am using Duck Go. Maybe you guys would have a different, okay. you know, have have more success on the yeah. other on you the can, other side of that.
1: You know, you'll find uh, you'll find a really really wonderful, uh, an intimately made exotic film if you dig deep enough of a Twi Sith Lord, uh, romancing her master. So. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> uh, you know, just five minutes on Pornhub, you'll find
0: it. There five minutes. Wow. That, five that, minutes.
1: I'm sorry. Actually, I mean that's, lo- that's a I'm long that's a long time. Seconds. Yeah. Five, five seconds. seconds. If you yeah. can last five minutes.
0: Right, right. Well well that well that well that's a part of the Jedi. They take a vow of celibacy, right? Isn't that one of their things?
1: Uh not explicitly. They take a vow of non-attachment. Um, oh, so
0: they said that they just like love them and leave them.
1: Well, game? yeah, and so there's actually Star Wars, a lot of Star Wars fan fiction, and if you spend time on Star Wars Twitter with like the deep Star Wars fans, there's there's a a sub. Is, it, is this bit. like Black Twitter?
0: But yeah, uh, <laughs> like like
1: Black Twitter, but Star Wars Twitter, and then there's like SJW Star Wars Twitter, and there's right wing Star Wars Twitter, and SJW <laughs> SJW Star Wars Twitter is is pretty into uh romantic fiction for star wars and they they talk a lot about like actually star jedi would have had sex lives um and i i I've, I've read all of these these tweet threads many many times but like they they will argue that jedi obviously had sex lives with each other behind the scenes uh because jedi were about non-attachment so they had open relationships they weren't covetous And I, yeah, yeah, I, as a conservative, I believe that that is fan fiction about life. I don't believe people can, it takes like 10% of the population. If that can be non-attached about sex. Um, I think that that's a lie that people tell themselves and it almost always ends badly, except for the one dude in a fedora who is really good at open relationships (laughs) at the expense of all the women he's sleeping with. We should. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to, I want to talk a little bit uh, about that. I'm just, I'm just imagining, you know, just Jai masturbation, you know, it's like no hands, just, just kind of going for it. Um, I remember, I think when I was younger and I would try to go see how long I can go without masturbating. And it was like, well, if I'm not touching myself, then it, then it doesn't count, you know, and it doesn't count. And also it's a, it's an easier way to stop yourself if you're yeah, not I mean, that's, touching that's yourself. Why you,
1: that's why you fuck the pillow, you know? Yeah, it, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah
0: it, exactly, man.
1: You know, I didn't do anything. All I was doing was just moving and uh, then it happened and yeah, I need to wash my pillow now. So <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, my, oh man, my poor mom, there was uh, I think at one point I'm, I'm one of five boys. So there were four of us in, in the house and my dad too. So, I mean, I, who knows what, what, what that old guy was up to, but man, the amount of semen my mom must've had to clean, you know, in the laundry. It's, uh,
1: yeah, I, I always did worry about that. And I also had this nightmare about like, if there was any left on the toilet seat that a guest might get pregnant. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) I, that was my worst nightmare was any leftover. What if my sister gets pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) and uh thank god never happened
0: yeah yeah oh yeah i mean uh uh, yeah i got that at that time when you're first experiencing you're experiencing like the different different surfaces and i remember uh, at, at points being on my knees in front of the toilet with my penis on a very cold ceramic toilet bowl. And, and like, this is new. This feels, this feels interesting. You know,
1: you're not supposed to fuck the toilet. Lou. <laughs> That's not how it works. You're not supposed to make contact.
0: I really want that. I I think that that should be uh, a new catchphrase. You're not supposed to fuck the toilet. Lou.
1: <laughs> I heard I was supposed to, you know, masturbate in the bathroom, but I just thought I had to go all in no, no, that's, uh, that's not how you do that Lou. Yeah.
0: Uh, we were, t- we were talking, uh, the, the polyamorous, uh, thing and yeah. you, you think it's 10% people, oh, be... I think
1: it's much lower than that. Yeah.
0: I think with dudes, it's probably higher, but then with ladies. and Right.
1: Kids, and, and, and so, I mean, that's kind of the thing. I, I think that, again, I think like sort of progressive people about like sexual norms and relationships have a just a completely faulty understanding of what's realistic Um, It is true that like women can operate in open relationships. It's true that women can have detached sex. However, I think it is far more likely to unravel a woman than it will unravel a man. Um, Men need different things than women do uh, by it, by it on net by and large. Um, So that's kind of like my qualifying statement. So you're going to have,
0: you're going to have some tweaky uh, fans coming at you for that. Like, no, what's a tweaky twikey a twileek fan twi-leak. Have, some,
1: have some respect i'm first, have, sorry have some respect at least study the dialect but yeah i mean <laughs> so like you know jedi i think there actually is an argument to be made that jedi would have sexual relationships behind the scenes and they were genuinely stoic about it maybe mm-hmm. i like who's to say um but the Jedi were explicit about romantic attachment. So that does kind of leave the door rhetorically open for uh Mace Wendu, uh, to be, uh, to be popping Adi Gallia, uh, when the Jedi council meeting is over. So,
0: yeah. And then you, you have poly, let's see, you have the polyamorous and then you have, I guess, uh, the swingers, which are more of the kind of like a, from a different generation. Um, and, and I've, I've thought about, it. I, I don't think I could, I could do it. I don't think I could be a swinger with my wife. And, and mostly because um, she has very pretty friends, but all their husbands are not good looking dudes. So it's not like they're so sexy. do You worry dude.
1: about her being with an ugly person. I
0: mean, it just doesn't seem fair.
1: Yeah. You know? Like you want mm. better for her.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's just, you know, we got to strike a balance here. And plus, yeah. you know, if, you know, those guys are going to come way too fast if I'm involved. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Cause you'd I, be there like watching or you, yeah,
0: I'll be there watching, helping out and then yeah. and then, look, now I have to satisfy three or four women by myself because these guys are all you know there's no more gas in the tank, and it's like yeah that, now, then it's like work,
1: yeah, that's then not a good that's not a good deal for you, um you gotta bring in a professional like if you're gonna go that way, you gotta make sure that everybody's getting what they need, and you can't have some ugly schlep with your wife. It's not yeah. good,
0: no, it's not fair at all <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're a dad, I'm a
1: dad's <laughs> got together man <laughs> God, i hope my wife can, or my i hope my daughter cannot hear me through the walls
0: <laughs> so what's the uh what's the um uh does your daughter like star wars is your wife like star wars or is this is this just dad's thing is uh dad...
1: my daughter adores star wars we star wars together uh, in all things we um, you know, we collect lightsabers, we watch all the shows together, we dress up and go to the comic cons. So she is a, she is a huge part of, of why I am still a star Wars fan. I think I, my star Wars fandom had kind of gone sleepy, you know, in my twenties, cause I was focused on other things like all the aforementioned, <laughs> aforementioned sex, uh, and having a life. Um, and when I had a daughter, you know, it just kind of all came pouring back because I wanted to share the sacred texts, uh, that made me who I was. Uh, my wife, she likes star Wars and she watches it with us. And she does generally just love Han Solo and is like really into the Han Solo character, which I get it. Uh, Harrison Ford is dashing. Um, she has a, a bucket list tattoo, like she wants to get. She wants to get Han Solo's blaster on her thigh, like like mm. a gun holster on her thigh with Han Solo's uh, iconic gun. And honestly, I can't think of anything hotter. So, uh, I really hope that that tattoo gets made soon.
0: It, uh, yeah, there's something about a thigh tattoo that is that is very hot. Um, I th- there was a time where I I was re- I really liked the thigh tattoo, and then also. <laughs> when the girl has like a side of her head shaved, you know, so it's like long hair and then the side of her hair is, is shaved down.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's I'm not, look,
0: I'm, I'm not making requests. Wait, do you and I you, have the the a uh,
1: side <laughs> shave side, side head shave girls
0: <laughs> get that side head shave and the, yeah, you know, no, the blaster I, uh, on the, on the thigh.
1: Yeah. A tattoo, tattoo of Hans blaster on the side with a side shave and a uh, comb over, comb over long hair. That's where it's at, buddy.
0: Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Harrison Ford, man, that just think about it. He's Indiana Jones. He's Han Solo. Uh, also wasn't he in like, um, was he in clear and present danger? Was that like his third sort of hero series?
1: Uh, no clear and present. I mean, so he was, he was Jack Ryan is clear and present oh, okay. danger. One of the Jack Ryan movies.
0: No idea. No.
1: Idea. Yeah. So he's Jack Ryan. So Tom Clancy's books and he did, I think two movies, as Jack Ryan, the best one being Patriot Games. Uh, mm. Patriot Games. Is that with John Malkovich? No. No, Sean Bean, who played 006 in Goldeneye, um, and watch him a Boromir in Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, I I don't know any of those references that Jack, you're really embarrassing me, Stephen. No, you gotta you gotta Google Sean
1: Bean. He's he's one of the greatest villain character actors that there is. Mm. Um, Sean Bean is one of my favorites, actually, actually top five favorite actors. But Sean Bean's the bad guy. He plays an Irish terrorist. uh, So IRA terrorist and uh, Harrison Ford is Jack Ryan. And oh, he's he great
0: in Game of Thrones. Yep,
1: yep, he is excellent. Yep, he makes it through season one of Game of Thrones, anyways. But uh,
0: I for in my fan fiction, he lives so yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah, Sean Bean's legendary, but yeah, him and Harrison Ford duke it out fist to fist in Patriot games, and that is the best of the Jack Ryan Tom Clancy movies. Nice,
0: which is not to be confused with Jack Reacher, right?
1: No, those movies suck.
0: There's a new guy because I know uh, Tom Cruise Tom played Cruz. him, yeah. and he was like you know five foot whatever. And now they got a big, uh, like a really big dude playing him.
1: So, oh, I see. Yeah, I don't even know who this guy is. He yeah. doesn't. It, he's not real.
0: He he's looks funny. like um, what's it? What's a wrestler? Um, he might. He
1: might be a wrestler. He looks like a a wrestler.
0: He looks like one of the WWE guys. The uh, the dude who apologized to China about saying Tyler. Oh, John Cena. <laughs> He kind of looks like a John Cena sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I see that. No, he's, uh, he's played by Alan Richson, who mm-hmm. is just an actor. Yeah. So not a, not a wrestler. He was in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He had a small role in the Hunger Games, but uh, not a wrestler.
0: Um, for anybody who wants to take part in this conversation, you can just open up IMDB and pretend that you're also searching for all these different connections uh, that that we're doing uh, right now. uh, You must've been young when you had a kid. How I I have no idea how old you are. You have such a baby face. And then I see your daughter and I'm like, what, how old was he? When he, he Uh,
1: I turn, I turn 32 uh, this week. Oh, wow. And I had my daughter, uh, when I was 20.
0: When you were 20, what was, uh, what was that like? Cause I had my first when I was 37, I think.
1: Good Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, my, my girlfriend and I got pregnant in college. Um, she got pregnant and so that was, you know, pretty much what you'd expect. One of those kind of crisis moments of being like, all right, what do we do? And, are we going to be together for this and um, you know, what happens? And I guess the story is fast forward 11 years and everything's okay. Um, you know, we, we got through the first year of the baby uh, and when our daughter was one, that was when we wanted to get married. So see if we made it through that first year <laughs> hmm. uh, co-parenting and, and being a couple. Um, and we went through, pre-marriage counseling for a year, which I actually found to be really helpful. And we ended up getting married and happy as can be.
0: Wow. It's uh it's wild to hear that story because it doesn't seem like the norm. It seems, it, it seems like, uh, when young people get, you know, get pregnant, there isn't that sort of, uh, Hey, we're going to go and prepare for, you know, for what's to come and we're going to really take it, take it seriously.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't what I thought would happen. Um, so I, this is a longer story, but Mm -hmm. I fancied myself a a conservative Christian (laughs) at that time in my life, uh, you know, when, when she got pregnant and, um, I fancied her to be a kind of non-political left-wing type and, and an atheist. And, and I think she's an agnostic still today. Or what I would call her an agnostic, but mm-hmm. I, when she told me that she was pregnant, I kind of assumed that she was going to terminate and that she would mm. that she would nix it, um, and my problem would be solved because I thought that's kind of what she believed in, uh, you know, as as someone who was more lefty and and someone who didn't believe in God, and I I remember distinctly feeling and I. I view this with contempt today. I I feel very badly about it, but I kind of thought my problem was going to be solved. And, um, Mm. um, she, she looked at me like I was a monster and, uh, um, rightfully called me out for my incredible, my incredible bullshit in that moment. Um, and she didn't believe in that at all. (laughs) She didn't believe in that at all. That was not how she thought about about pregnancy and that's not how she thought about life and she was going to have the baby and then it was kind of on me to fix that wound that i had just created by my assumption my stated assumption uh and mm. i work i worked to try to fix it
0: wow man i think it takes a lot to be able to to admit that um but also i wonder do you have this where you look back like 10 years ago and then even and then 10 years before that. And it's like almost like completely different people. Like one of the, one of the, I, one thing that makes it easier for me to look back on my life, like to look at, back at me at, at 25 or me at, you know, 18. It's like, I don't know who that guy or kid is anymore. And it's sort of, there's like this line of this separation where I know they're me, but I'm so different now. And then looking back, I'm able to, I think, take a lot of responsibility, you know, even for like the darkest of thoughts, like the one that, that you just described.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I do feel that way and I, I think it's easier to see it in other people than it is yourself. There's, there's Mm -hmm. a certain amount of just, you know, self-reflection bias that I think most people always struggle from, but you know, I can look at my wife. She's, she's not the same person that she was 10 years ago. I, I love her. You know, even more for it, like the person that she's grown into is beautiful, confident, outdoorsy, um, involved in the community. And she used to be kind of a shut in, you know, just didn't do anything and didn't believe in much. And she's she's not the same person. And the trick of any marriage is falling in love over and over and over again, not necessarily sustaining love um, because people will change. And you have to be committed to, aware, and interested in falling in love with the new person that your spouse is going to be over time. And for some people, there will be lots of changes. And my wife's pretty open with this, so I don't feel bad saying it. But you know, she has bipolar type two um, and pretty manic depression, and I'm dealing with a different person every couple of weeks. And that takes a lot of patience and interest in being there for the journey and being along for the ride and throwing out of the mind, the idea that you're going to have continuity. Uh, The only thing that I expect continuity in is faithfulness and the rest. uh, I don't expect anything, but you know, patience and love. So um, I I think for myself, I do know that I'm a different person today, but I also am, every day I am angry at the ways in which I'm still the same. Um, The same struggles that I still have, the same addictions that I still have, um, the same voices in my head that push me to do things I don't wanna do uh, or would rather not do. Um, I still wrestle with those same things that I wrestled with 15 years ago and so that's the thing where I'm, I get more frustrated mm-hmm. at the ways I'm the same rather than the ways I'm different.
0: You know, I wonder, uh, I wonder where you would be right now if I'm not even saying that your wife had terminated, uh, the pregnancy, but if you didn't, you know, get pregnant at, at that age, sort of where would you be now at 32? Because it, it seems like there's a, you're a lot more mature than I was at 32 and that's me eight, you know, almost eight years ago um where i wonder yeah do you ever think about that where you might be oh yeah
1: i think i think about it all the time and uh you know i i am so grateful i'm so grateful that my my 20s were completely disrupted by the having of a child and the 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 burden of responsibility because i remember i remember clearly where i was at when that happened and i was on the precipice of breaking off the relationship that I was in with the woman who's now my wife, and going all in on gallivanting, being promiscuous, I wanted to you know experiment with drugs, and I, I just I was ready to kind of let loose. I was mm. like at this point where I was really ready to to just go all out and um, give in to some of my worst my worst habits and inclinations. Um, which, which for me would have probably been, you know, just promiscuity and, and self gratification and sex and all that stuff. And, um, it pumped the brakes, it threw the brakes on completely and it forced me to get a grip and a grip I got. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I'm very, I, I'm very anxious and uneasy thinking about where I would have gone had that not happened. Yeah. Um, I, I look at it as something that saved me.
0: Well, I think you have another book there, you know, you might have another, uh, have, have you thought about that or doing a, a book that sort of.
1: Yeah, I, I have about... thought about it, but I, I kind of don't know how to tell that story in a way that doesn't come across as overly preachy. And, mm. um, I don't know. I, I feel like I need a little bit more of the journey before I, I tell that story. Cause like, I want to write a parenting book. But I, my daughter hasn't even hit her teens yet, so I, yeah, kind of, I yeah. kind of feel fraudulent writing a parenting book when you've only been through the the greatest years, you know. Mm-hmm. Like things, I have to imagine things are about to get really hard. She's eleven, and right. you know, I'll I'll maybe revisit it in five years when I've successfully navigated negotiating with a teenager, sure. um, and same for my marriage. You know, we're we're eleven years in. But I guess I'll always feel like, you know, maybe when I hit 20, maybe when we get to 30, then I can say I'm a, an expert or someone who's done it. Um, but I think that that might be, I think that might be a lie, like that might be imposter syndrome, kind of speaking, because to make it to 10 years is a, is a huge accomplishment. And to make it through marriage in your 20s, mm. when it was unplanned, is a huge accomplishment, and so I, I do have a book that I want to write. I think I, I think it would be called rat millennial, uh,
0: rat millennial,
1: rat millennial. Is that,
0: is that uh, the year of the rat or
1: year of the rat? No, I'm a rat. I'm a rat millennial. Um, and it would just be a book about responsibility and, you mm-hmm. know, stepping up and not being a rat millennial. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Um, uh, before uh, before we go, I know uh, you and I we hung out in Nashville. There was a, a Students for Liberty um, extravaganza that was happening, and then I think the the following week you went to Iceland, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was uh, what was your experience of Iceland? And Before you start, I'm I'm going to say that there was one time. Um, well, my wife and I we did half of our honeymoon in France and the other half in Iceland. Okay. And when I got back to New York, I was, um, I was eating at a restaurant and there were two guys sitting next to me talking about Iceland and, or one friend was telling the other about it. And every single thing that this guy said about Iceland is something I was going to say. So I almost feel like everybody who goes there has the exact same story to tell about this place.
1: Hmm. Well, I will say that I was there with some kind of raucous party animal Icelanders who were our hosts. And so I, I did learn pretty quickly that Icelanders are incredible hosts. They love to share with you and they love to give, 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 uh, and just get hammered every single night. And that was the impression. <laughs> that was the impression that I got of Iceland. Uh, but I also just really enjoyed the travel there because I had never left the country. I've never been out of the U.S. Oh wow! And it was, it was still Western and American enough, while being just you know enough European to be like, all right, this is one foot in the door of international travel, while still driving on the right side of the road in a country where there's not a lot of traffic. Uh, I thought people were really friendly. And I loved it. I I don't have a, I don't have a profound takeaway other than that. Um, But I I did find that people there were just generally more carefree. Uh, Did you rent a car? I did. Yeah. It was, it was highly worth it to get up from the South, the South of the Island to the North of the Island to sort of see the more rural, rural countryside.
0: Yeah, we did. uh, We did the same thing. And yeah, that feeling of being on an empty road in this foreign land. And it it's like another planet, really. That that's kind of what I felt like when I was when I was driving there. And to just slow down and drive as slow as you want, pull over, take in the sights, that was that was awesome.
1: No, it was. And and Iceland, of course, has been used as other planets in tons and tons of movies, you know, whether it be like Game of Thrones. Uh, And that kingdom or Star Wars Rogue One, the very beginning of Star Wars Rogue One is filmed on the black sand beaches in South Iceland, um, right by a town called Vic. Mm -hmm. And I was in Vic. I was like at a gift shop, like at a gas station. And I was five stinking minutes away from where they physically filmed a scene of Star Wars Rogue One. And then I only learned about this after I was three hours away back at the hotel. And I was like, God damn it. This I is your was,
0: this is your yeah. second Joseph Campbell perfect quote moment.
1: Go yeah, ahead. it was it was my moment and I blew it. I blew it, Lou. But next you, time I go back, I'm gonna go back to the scene where they filmed the beginning of Rogue One where Director Krennic visits Galen Urso and says, Galen, farming? A man of your talents? Really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what it's all about. I was also going to say, if you didn't, uh, did you have any lamb?
1: Uh, I had uh whale. I had whale and cool. puffin and puffin. I found to be sour and kind of, of grody, mm. uh, but whale was good for the, exactly the reasons that it is mostly illegal around the world. Uh, it was tender melts in your mouth it was steak but better wow and uh i i absolutely understand now why there's a black market for whale
0: <laughs> well you know what i gotta i gotta say my uh my hypothesis was incorrect you had a very different experience of iceland than i had, in and just in in your dining experiences doing the whale doing the puffin uh there's a children's show not no relation to iceland called puffin rock for those of you who have uh any newborns out there. And it's a, it's an Irish uh, show. And, um, one of the characters name is Una. She's a little puffin. And if my wife had a, if we had a daughter, we were going to name our daughter, Una. So. Okay. Una. Una. Oh, oh. oh, is that a, is that another character from star, star Wars?
1: Ah, uh, avatar, the last airbender. Sorry. I'm a, never-ending cascade of childish pop culture references
0: you're 32 man live it up that's uh that's what it's all about well look uh steven i want to thank you so much uh for coming on uh again uh steven's book is how the force can fix the world and like i said at the beginning steven is a great friend um he's an awesome guy and obviously if you've uh, stayed this long into the chat um you know that you've enjoyed his ideas and uh, thanks for sharing them with me, brother. Thank you, Lou. Thank you so much for watching and/or listening to my podcast. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to theluperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. And another way to support me is by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Head over to www.blvck. DREW.com use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaverdeCBD.com. Use promo code LU for 25% off purchases over $75. All right.
1: Bye.